Welcome to Buy Sci-Fi Bite-Sized Finance. I'm Kelly Brothers. I'll be your host serving up some of the most succulent stories from our region about people, places, and things that impact our community and your financial well-being. I'm sure there will even be a few tasty surprises here and there when the recipe is right. Our goal is to have you learn, think, even laugh a little bit, all calorie-free. I know you'll enjoy what we're delivering right to your kitchen table or dining room or, sir, will you be eating in your car? Wherever you choose to listen. Hello, everyone. Kelly Brothers with you. This is Bite Sized Finance by Sci Fi. Shortened version of all that, but this is Bite Sized Finance. We've done a few of these in the past. We want to make it a more regular occurrence. I'm going to be your host. We're going to serve up some great stories from our region about people, places, ideas that impact our community and impact your financial well being. Our goal is to learn, think, even laugh a little bit, delivered right wherever you listen. Might be your kitchen table, might be your car, might be on your walk down by the American River or around McKinley Park, or maybe you're up in the mountains or on the coast or on vacation and you want to listen into Buy Sci-Fi, that is perfectly acceptable as well. So we are thrilled that you have joined us here for Bite Sized Finance. The baseline for all of this is a very basic premise that we don't think about all that often. And that is that the world of retirement planning has changed dramatically over the last hundred years. I mean, dramatically. And to the point where you and I now have to be our own advocates, that we have to handle this because the country as a government and the country as corporate America has offloaded the task of retirement planning Onto you and me, the individual. That's the basic premise. This used to be, first of all, not necessary. What do I mean by that? Well, 100 years ago, there was no retirement planning. You, you didn't retire. You just kept working until the day you dropped. Or the day you dropped, you hoped that your kids were around to take care of you in your final years. But there really was no retirement planning. And that, you know, you had five or six kids hoping that three or four would still be around and they might be able to care for you in your dotage. 50 years ago, think of what happened. You retired on a Friday, probably at the age of 65. And that Friday afternoon, they threw you a nice little party with cake and punch. And they maybe gave you a gold watch. And they made some speeches and toasted you in your golden years. And then you left the company. And starting on that Monday, you probably had a pension coming to you. Whether it was from the private sector or the public sector, you probably had a pension. You had Social Security, and Social Security was fully funded, and no one was concerned about the future of Social Security. You had Medicare, and Medicare was fully funded, and no one worried about the future of Medicare. So you retired, and you were making pretty close to what you made when you were working because you had this pension, and you had Social Security, and you had Medicare, and life wasn't all that expensive. And you uh, took three cruises, and you died at 72. That was 50 years ago. But now, life has changed dramatically for the better and for the more stressful as well. Longevity has improved, especially for you women out there. Women outlive men almost all the time. As a matter of fact, I, I say to many women, do not just abdicate this to your husband or to your partner, because the odds are, uh, when you consider the rates of divorce in this country, but also, most importantly, the rates of longevity, where women outlive men on average by three years, 
the odds are every woman will have to take care of their own finances at some point in their lifetime. So know your advisor, know the basics of where your money is coming from and how it is leaving your house as well. In other words, what your budget looks like. But longevity is a big deal. 50 years ago, people smoked. They didn't really know how unhealthful a habit that really was. And there was drinking and there were no gyms. And the only exercise you got was walking, which was fine, especially if you're in a big city, but you didn't live as long. Now, a husband and wife walking into my office at the age of 65, if they're relatively healthy, guess what? There is a 50-50 chance one of them hits the age of 90. So the retirement planning exercise is more complicated because it's not a 10 to 15 year exercise. It's a 25 to 30 year exercise. And it's more complicated because the pensions have disappeared. I mean, they've disappeared almost completely in the private sector. And odds are they will change dramatically in the public sector as well. We've already seen some states that have gone to hybrid pensions. What does that mean? You get a pension for your base need, and then anything above that is in more of a 401k type situation. You know, just look at the numbers. CalPERS with hundreds of billions of dollars still is not considered to be a healthy pension plan, giving its funding level in anticipation of their future liabilities. So pensions have really gone away in the private sector. They're likely to change in the public sector. Social Security is on the road to ruin. They're going to run out of money. In the next decade, they're going to run out of money. And then what? Now, granted, they can make some changes today that would greatly lengthen the lifetime for Social Security. I do not believe our government is going to pull the plug on people who are already in retirement. However, if you're 35 or 40, the Social Security they're promising you today probably will not be there in the future. Medicare, same thing. But our political system is set up in such a way that no one wants to touch those. There's no upside to dealing with the mess that is Social Security and Medicare. There's only downside. So politically, it's very hard to get anything done until we're in a crisis situation. But that day is coming more quickly than any of us would like. Bottom line, you're facing double the length of retirement than you did 50 years ago. And the resources you used to rely on have either disappeared in the case of private sector pensions, or they're in question, let's just say, in the case of Social Security and Medicare. That means you have to save, you have to plan, you have to understand basic financial literacy. Because the big issue in all of this is the fact that What we're paying today for everything we need is not what we're going to be paying in the years ahead. You have to factor in inflation. You can't just sit there and say, I have a million dollars. I'm going to take $50,000 a year out and it's going to last me 20 years. Well, that's great, but it's not going to pay for what $50,000 pays for today. It just won't. We know that. We knew that even before the recent few years of exceptionally high inflation because Inflation, it's not like, and your governmental leaders often come across like they don't really understand inflation. You can't tell corporations, all right, time to cut your prices. Inflation has come back in. They're not cutting prices. The absence of inflation is not the cutting of prices. It's the fact that those prices are not going up 
at the same level that they are. Then you got financial literacy, which is a, a big issue. And a lot of people, it, financial literacy, literacy should be taught in schools. It is not. And it should be. It's not uh, instituted. It is not mandated in the state of California. Some states mandated, but the reason they should mandate financial literacy is because the government has offloaded the task of retirement planning to the individual by neglecting some of the basic social safety nets that have been in place for generations. Retirement plan design, you know, has gotten better. For example, there are now target date funds. Target date funds, maybe you're invested in one in your 401k. Let's say you invest in the 2050 target date fund. That means you're planning to retire around the year 2050. And maybe that fund today is 75, 25 stocks to bonds. But in the future, they will take some of the risk out of that as we get closer to 2050 in anticipation of people needing that money, using that money. The time horizon is changing. They're going to need income and not growth. And so the makeup of that fund will change as you get closer to the date. That has been a fantastic evolution in the form of retirement plans and the way they are administered and the way they help you. Because the other piece to that is that a lot of companies now will just put in default. You're going to go into that target date fund. You're not going to sit in cash because a tragedy was that a lot of companies put into place very good retirement plans but some people out of fear and or ignorance or both just let their money sit in cash for literally decades. And they earn very little on that money. They have no hope of keeping up with inflation in retirement. So I go in with the idea that companies want you as their workers to be able to retire. So some of the, some of the evolution in retirement plan design has been very positive, And I hope you truly take advantage of that still. The corporate America and the government have offloaded the task of retirement planning to you and to me, the individual. And that's, that's a big deal. So you got to educate yourself or you got to hire someone or you got to do both. And, uh, you know, for those of us who work here at Cap Trust, that's what we do every day. We answer questions. We initiate planning exercises. We allow people through our software to say things like, what if, what if I retired two years early? What if, what if I wanted to help my kids with a down payment on their home in the state of California where housing is so expensive? What if I'm selling my business and I'm thinking, I don't want to pay the taxes California wants to charge me. How does my whole balance sheet and income statement look if I left the state of California? So These are important questions, but it all goes back to the fact that you and I have to plan for retirement in a way that we never had to before. A, because we weren't living long enough to have a retirement 100 years ago, and B, because government and corporate America handled the bulk of it 50 years ago. But today, it's on you and me. And so we have to educate ourselves. The best way to do that is bite-sized bite-sized pieces of information about legacy planning, about insurance, about investments, about all the pieces that make up financial literacy. That's why we're here, bite-sized finance. My name is Kelly Brothers. You've probably heard me here on KFBK, maybe on KCRA. 
I work at Cap Trust, where this is all we do every day is planning for people as they look toward retirement. Bite Size Finance, back after this short break. Kelly Brothers here for Cap Trust. We are fiduciaries. That's an interesting word. What does that mean? That means that legally we are obligated to put your best interests over our own. Non-fiduciaries don't have that same legal situation. They can sell you something as long as it's suitable, but they don't have to put you in the best thing for you over their best interest. In other words, they can't just sell you a nice annuity with a big fat commission for themselves even if it's not the best thing for you. We are fiduciaries. We are proud to be fiduciaries. And let me say something too about price. I am always shocked by the fact that there are people who I know will scour the internet for the cheapest flight or the cheapest ticket to a ball game, but they have no idea what they are paying for their advisor. We tell you upfront in black and white, here's what you're paying for what you're getting. Cap Trust here in Sacramento, Roseville, and Folsom. Kelly Brothers back with Bite Size Finance. I'm a financial advisor at Cap Trust, a certified financial planner. As many of you know, I give the daily updates here on KFBK Radio, periodic reports on KCRA television, all on finance, personal finance, business stories. And that's what we're looking for, bite-sized stories so we can educate ourselves. Stories of success, stories of failure that we can learn from. We're reinvigorating this podcast, this radio show. One thing I want to mention before I get to my own personal story, and that is this. We didn't just buy the time for the show. We bought all the commercial time in the hour. And that's because I am disgusted at what I hear uh, some of the other commercials that run in some of the shows, even in the talk shows, because they're all based on fear. They're all based on a fear which takes advantage of people who don't have the financial literacy they would probably like to have, but fear works better when you don't have anything to counteract that fear. And so, so talking about fear of, oh, is your 401k a 201k? Or are you afraid if the market drops, what are you going to do? You need to buy gold from me, or you need to buy an annuity from me. And, and that's not to say there aren't appropriate places where gold should be purchased. There aren't appropriate uses for an annuity but not for everyone, not for everyone who's a little concerned about the market. We're all concerned about the markets. I mean, they're, they're somewhat unpredictable, but they're also, has, they've been proven over time, these capital markets to be some of the only asset classes that actually can keep up with inflation. So when people want to sell you something based on fear and they're selling you something, they're not advising you. They have no fiduciary standard. They are salespeople. That I, that I did not want that in this show. So we have the ads. So the ads you hear are going to be from people we know, we respect, clients of ours, friends of ours, um, uh, attorneys and accountants that we respect and we've worked with for a long time. You can trust the ad content in this show in a way you can't in other shows because fear is not what this is going to be about. I, I am seed a lunch here and I had to introduce a guy by the name of Harry Dent. This was years ago, probably 10 years ago. This is as we're coming out of the Great Recession, probably 2011, I'd say. And Harry Dent one time got a market correct. And ever since then, he's been writing books and articles and newsletters where he comes up with these predictions. And that day at this event with 500 people in, you know, in a ballroom in a hotel, he said, 
the Dow's going to drop 3,000 points by the end of the year. And we had clients who were at that event who were literally calling our office as they left the hotel to say, sell, get me out. The market was up that year. You know, even a broken clock is right twice a day, far more than a guy like Harry Dent. But Harry sold his books and sold his articles and sold his website based on fear. You're fearful, and I'm going to take full advantage of that. So we're, we're not going to do that here. That's not what we're about. That's not going to say we're not going to be realistic about the risks that are inherent in the market. No, we will certainly do that, but we're not going to sell you something based on a fear. So this is buy side fi bite-sized finance stories again about people and what they've done how they've been able to do it, how they've been able to achieve success, what mistakes they made. And I want to tell you my story because it's a financial story and I was the complete beneficiary of it, okay? And and these stories are passed down in the family and I think they impact family members over time. But I'm simply the luckiest guy on the planet to grow up in the home I grew up in. My mother and father came from Ireland in the 1950s and they came from Ireland with hopes of a better future. And I'll, I'll tell you how it happened. It was because um, it's, it's actually a great story and runs counter to the way immigration is treated today, but I'll let you make that judgment, okay? My dad had a cousin named Joe Ryan who was a farmer in Rio Vista, and Joe visited Ireland, and my dad showed him around. This is the, what, 1956. My dad showed him around, took him out to dinner, took him out, bought him a pint of Guinness somewhere, even though my dad didn't drink. Believe it or not, yes, an Irishman who didn't drink. But he he took him out, and at the end of the, uh, his last evening before Joe left for America, Joe said, hey, Pete, I, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but if you ever thought of coming to America, I would sign on as your sponsor. You got to understand, 1956, that was the golden ticket. That was like Willy Wonka and the golden ticket for a, a young, young 26-year-old to hear from someone else, I'll sign on as your sponsor to America. That didn't mean Joe gave him money. He didn't give him money. But Joe signed a piece of paper which said, if this young immigrant doesn't pay any of his bills, I'm on the hook. It was a big deal to have a sponsor back then. So my dad knew that his, um, his opportunities in Ireland were somewhat limited. So he, he decided instantaneously he was leaving for America. And he did. He left for America a few months later. The entire family would go to the dock to see him off because they didn't know if he was coming back or not. But he came to America. Before he came to America, he, he had realized one thing. He had had a pain in his side for three years, and the doctor had described it as chronic appendicitis. Now, uh, you know, chronic appendicitis, I've never even heard the diagnosis before. But my dad knew that, or thought anyway, that his appendix was causing this pain. And his thing, in his head, he was thinking, oh, man, Ireland nationalized medicine, America not nationalized medicine. If I go to America and my appendix bursts, I don't have enough money to cover that, I don't think. And I think Joe Ryan's going to get a bill, and I don't want that to happen. So my dad did what any frugal Irishman would do, and he faked an attack of appendicitis. He went into the hospital and said, oh, my side's killing me, doc. What do we do? And the doctor's looking at his chart saying, wow, well, it looks like this has been bothering you for a while. Maybe we should just take out your appendix. You think so, doc? 
You think you should take it out? All right, go ahead and take it out. So he took it out. Turns out there was really nothing wrong with his appendix, but the appendix was gone by then. However, the good news for our family is that as my dad lay in the recovery room in a Dublin hospital, the nurse who took care of him would eventually become our mother. She was a young Irish woman who was actually on her way to New York. She had a six-month contract to work at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City. So she was heading for New York, and my dad was able to say to her, hey, if you ever thought of coming to California, now you've got a friend in California. She made the trip to California, and they never left. So my dad uh, headed for, uh, you know, got better, headed for the ship and came across. And my mom and dad ended up married in, what, 1960. They had four kids. And unbeknownst to their four kids at the time, their only financial goal, besides just being self-sustaining and make sure no one ever had to pay a bill for them, like Joe Ryan, Their only other goal was that their kids be educated in a way that they couldn't have dreamed they would be educated. That was their their only goal. And we were the fortunate beneficiaries of that. How fortunate? Well, I'll just tell you one story about that. That was 1989. They had four kids in Catholic universities. And you know what the tuition is like at a Catholic university, even if you got four kids. One at Notre Dame, one at Santa Clara, one at Loyola Marymount, one at St. Mary's, and my dad lost his job. Now, my dad lost his job because the insurance company he worked for, Cal West, which used to be at 21st and L Streets, was sold. And they just came in and they got rid of some of the older guys and he was out of a job. You know, my parents had worked very hard. Uh, They had actually uh, purchased some small apartment houses where my brother and I did a lot of the work on the weekends of raking leaves and cutting lawns and painting. My mother was a nurse, obviously, and she, I remember many years, she worked overnights, which was very hard work because you worked overnights. You came home and you got four kids off to school and then maybe you got a nap. And if one of the kids was sick, you didn't get a nap. It was, it was hard where they both worked very hard, but they got us into these schools And we got financial aid of one degree or another. However, I being the oldest in 1989 went to my dad and said, ah, dad, I tell you what, let me come home. I can work. Let, you know, I I can go back and finish next year. And he, and his line resonates with me to this day. And that is, he said, are you kidding me? He said, your mom and I have been planning for this very day for 25 years. We're fine. Study hard have fun, and I will see you at graduation. Do not mention this again. And boy, what an eye-opener that was for me in terms of financial planning. To think that money just didn't come in and then go out, to understand why we drove 10, 12-year-old cars, to understand why vacation for us was a, a trailer on the back of a truck that we parked at Lake Tahoe for two or three weeks every summer. It was fantastic, but it was relatively inexpensive. There weren't big trips to Hawaii or Mexico or anywhere else. It was camping. That was our vacation. We didn't have, we didn't have a lot of luxuries, but we had food on the table and we were getting the best education that my parents could even dream of. So, and and just the understanding that people have these big goals and big plans 
and they make they put them as a priority in their lives. So that because money has to be saved every month to make those dreams become a reality. And sure enough, my dad was able to find a, a job within about three months. And uh, to give you an idea how serious my my parents' dream wasn't just that we all got four bachelor's degrees, but within three to four years after that, they had cajoled each of us, pushed each of us to get a graduate degree. So myself and my sisters all have master's degrees and my brother has his law degree. And that's only because our parents said, you need to go and do this now while we, cause we can help you now, but in five years, who knows? And they didn't pay for all of it, but they took the sting out of getting a master's degree. That's for sure. What a dream and how fortunate we were as kids to have parents where that was their dream. And I say that because that was my first example of true financial planning. And I wanted to bring that to your attention because I'm going to be telling you a lot of stories of financial planning right here in bite-sized finance. I'm Kelly brothers of cap trust. And I get the question a lot. How do you pick an advisor that is right for you? I always suggest interview a few people, go talk to a few people. The truth is most people will spend more time planning their next weekend getaway than they will actually finding the advisor that is right for them, their family, the next generation, an advisor that may serve you for decades or a generation or more. It's an important decision. Sit down and talk to people. See if you feel comfortable talking to people. After all, this is all about the conversation, mitigating risks, and preparing for the future. Cap Trust here in Sacramento, Roseville, and Folsom. Kelly Brothers back with Bite Sized Finance. This is a radio show, a podcast. It is designed just to add to your financial literacy, but to do it during uh, through stories. And uh, through interviews as well, I'll be talking with a number of people over the next few months, people who have achieved certain levels of success, and I will want to know how they got to where they are, and I'll also want to know what's the biggest mistake you made and what cautionary tale would you tell the rest of us. Uh, I told you about my parents' story and how lucky we were, and it's, you know, I have found it's good to have big, hairy, audacious goals when it comes to finance. I mean, to give you an idea... I had a client in the end of the year and we were trying to figure out whether or not they should, whether or not they should pay off their mortgage. And financially it really made sense to not pay off the mortgage. They were still getting a deduction. They had a relatively low rate. They were down under a hundred thousand on the mortgage, but they had the money and financially it probably made more sense to invest that money and keep paying the mortgage off on its regular schedule. But I knew that for this family and for many families, there's a psychological boost that comes from owning your home free and clear that cannot be denied, that cannot be quantified. So we decided, well, we actually decided to pay off half last year and half this year. But, you know, here we are and they have now paid off their house and they feel great about it. They have achieved a goal that they have worked toward for 20 plus years to pay off their home. And it was more important to hit that goal than it was to get the extra maybe two or 3% we could have gotten by investing the money and continuing to pay the mortgage uh, the way it was. So we're going to tell stories like that. You know, a few years ago, I had to talk to, you know, and some of these stories are on the investment side and some are on the spending side. I had to talk to a group of young doctors 
And I don't know if you understand how, you know, that all works, but these doctors, some of them, when they're in residency, I mean, they are, they're earning very little and working very hard. And then they get out of residency and they get their more permanent physician position and they make a lot more money very quickly. And my cautionary tale to them was do not let your lifestyle ramp up as fast as your income does when you finally get to that job you've always wanted. I mean, literally, some I've known doctors who were on food stamps when they were in residency because they might have had two or three kids and they were eligible for food stamps. But, you know, then they come out and one of the one of the young doctors said, what are the biggest mistakes you see doctors make in the investment world? And I said, I don't see doctors making mistakes in the investment world. Many of them make very good investments. Maybe they buy the building they're in or, you know, they invest in stocks in an area in which they know bio or biopharma. What I, I said, the mistakes I see doctors make are spending mistakes, letting their lifestyle ramp up to a place where their income is uh, without, you know, just taking a big chunk of that money and putting it aside. Because the best part about being 25 and broke is that that's what you're used to. So what a great opportunity to put money away while you know what it feels like to be broke. What do you know what it feels like to live not in the Taj Mahal? What you know what it looks like to on the 28th, 29th, 30th of the month have to eat top ramen or eat very simply or peanut butter. To be austere, to do it. Because once you leave that, it's really hard to go back. And these are stories we need to tell. You know, one of the... One of the events that we host here at Cap Trust, and it's become very popular, we do it every three years. It's called Money 101. And it's the basics of financial literacy, four hours for the kids and grandkids of our clients between the ages of, let's say, 13 and 19. But it's what's a stock? What's a bond? The dangers of debt and credit. What is financial planning? You know, that is a that's that's a foreign concept to a lot of kids. It's just money came in and and now I'm going to spend it. But understanding what financial planning is, you know, stock and a bond. If you own a stock, you're an owner of a company. If you own a bond, you're a loaner to that company and what that means. When is an appropriate time to take on debt? You know, to me, it's if you're buying an appreciating asset, appropriate time to take on a modest level of debt. It's, it's much harder to justify taking on debt and a depreciating asset. The one exception probably being a car. Because you need a car to get to work. You need a car to do other things. And that a car is almost always a depreciating asset. So financial literacy is is very important. And, you know, if it's not going to be offered in our schools, we have to be able to offer it in our homes. And the easiest way to offer it in homes is to offer it through stories. And that's that's very important for people, especially you talk to young people who are thinking of getting married. I always ask about their attitudes about money. I said, make sure you talk about that. I mean, I've seen more marriages dissolve because two partners really were not on the same wavelength about money. And in some cases, uh, in the case of my wife and I, we don't feel the exact same way about money, but we have relatively complementary of views on money. And we kind of know that and we know when to defer to the other on some financial decisions. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that and we're going to do it through stories, uh, stories of real people. You know, a big issue in the state of California right now is do I stay in the state of California? 
As we speak, they're they're talking about a wealth tax under the Capitol Dome. A wealth tax, for those of you who don't know, currently you get taxed on your income. Uh, you get taxed on your property. That's property tax. You get taxed when you purchase something. That's called a sales tax. But they're talking about a wealth tax where if you had, let's say you had $3 million worth of assets, a wealth tax could tax that whether you sell it or not. Now, they're not talking about taxing people with $3 million in net worth. They're talking about $50 million and above. But, they're, but we know that number will shift over time. We also know that number will scare people out of the state of California. Some cases because they don't want to pay it, and in some cases because they don't want to have to do the bookkeeping to figure out what they own everywhere around the world every year so they can pay a 1.5% tax to the state of California. But here's a story for you, I, I, I think, where the tax part blends into morality almost. I had a client in here, he's selling his business this year. He was in last year and he, and he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes almost. And he said, he was just very downtrodden and said, I have to leave the state of California. And I said, no, you don't. I mean, here in black and white is the benefit to you if you decide to leave the state of California and you move to a zero tax state. You move to Nevada or Tennessee or Texas or Florida. But, but you don't have to move. You could sell your business. You could pay the piper. You could write your check to Gavin Newsom. And you would have the same lifestyle that you've had all the way along. And you would have the same friends you've had along the way. And you'd be close to the family that you're close to along the way. But he looked at me and said, no, because he said, I look at this number. And he pointed to the little cell on the spreadsheet, which had the number that he was going to have to pay to the state of California when he sold his business. He said, I look at that number and I realize that that money would pay for all nine of my grandkids' college education. And I can't ignore that fact. And that stopped me in my tracks because he was right. He could take that money and pay for his kids' college educations. So this is not just about more money to line someone's pockets. This is opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is the cost of the foregone conclusion. And that is, what else could I use that money for? And in this gentleman's situation, he saw a much better use of that money than giving it to the state of California. That by doing some financial planning, he could depart the state. By the way, he had a home in another state anyway. And he could depart the state, live there X amount of months per year, and take that money and pay for his grandkids' college educations. So it was the opportunity cost that was bothering him. So we will we'll talk more about that. But tax optimization is a big deal. And by the way, all these goals aren't necessarily about college education or about a new house here or there or a new car. In many cases, people want to, in the most tax-efficient way, do real legacy planning. When I say legacy planning, I mean what are they going to live to leave to their kids and grandkids and what are they going to leave and how to do it the most efficiently to their favorite charity or to their alma mater. You know, if you're over the age of 73, you probably should not be making cash donations anymore to your favorite charity because you can do a qualified distribution out of your retirement plan accounts, your IRA or your 401k in a way that 
would benefit you much more. Or you can give appreciated stock. Kelly, what's that mean? That means if you bought Apple stock when it was 50 and now it's 300 and let's say you wanted to give $10,000 to your church or to your alma mater, you could give $10,000 in Apple stock. You get the full value of the deduction, but you never have to recognize the gain and pay tax on that gain. So there are some very tax-efficient ways of leaving a legacy, whether it be with your family, in your community, or to your favorite charity, or to your alma mater as well. So we will talk about optimizing your charitable contributions. Nothing better, in my mind, than giving to a charity or giving to a school or giving to a community organization and making a difference in the lives of the people who benefit from that organization and at the same time, uh, lessening the tax burden on yourself. And we will do that through stories. And believe me, in the future, it won't just be me talking. It'll be me talking to people about how they got where they are and the mistakes they made along the way and what we can all learn from them. This is Bite Sized Finance. I'm Kelly Brothers. Kelly Brothers here for Cap Trust. We are fiduciaries. That's an interesting word. What does that mean? That means that legally we are obligated to put your best interests over our own. Non-fiduciaries don't have that same legal situation. They can sell you something as long as it's suitable, but they don't have to put you in the best thing for you over their best interest. In other words, they can't just sell you a nice annuity with a big fat commission for themselves even if it's not the best thing for you. We are fiduciaries. We are proud to be fiduciaries. And let me say something, too, about price. I am always shocked by the fact that there are people who I know will scour the Internet for the cheapest flight or the cheapest ticket to a ball game, but they have no idea what they are paying for their advisor. We tell you up front in black and white, here's what you're paying for what you're getting. Cap Trust here in Sacramento, Roseville, and Folsom. Kelly Brothers here, Bite Size Finance. Thanks so much for tuning in to Buy Sci-Fi. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. As I mentioned, this will be a weekly occurrence from this point forward. You can find it right here on KFBK at 3 p.m. on Sundays or on your favorite podcast platform. But I look forward to having some great conversations. We have some already set up for the weeks to come from people here in Northern California who have stories to tell that hopefully will be entertaining but also beneficial to you. We're also going to talk to some experts on estate tax law, for example. Many people don't know that estate tax law is about to change dramatically. And I'm talking about less than two years out. Estate tax law will change. Again, this is a first world problem. This only impacts people, you know, up above, let's say, $10 million. But I think a lot of people are going to be it's going to be a punch to the solar plexus when they figure out what's going on. Basically, a husband and wife, you know, if you were um, hit by a bus today and died, you're talking about oh, somewhere between 25 and $27 million in estate tax exemption where you would not have to pay any estate tax. But in two years, that is cut in half. And it's the sunsetting of a Trump tax law. It has... In other words, Congress doesn't have to do anything for this to happen. It's just going to happen. And there will be a lot of people, especially in California, when you add up, you know, an, a nice healthy IRA, a decent investment or two, a primary home, maybe they have a cabin somewhere. You start to add a, that add up and you 
push that out 10 years and people are going to fall into a trap they don't even know exists. And that is they're going to be paying some estate tax, which is 40% of whatever you have could be going to the government in the future. We're going to talk about that because as I mentioned, that law changes dramatically in less than two years, January 1st of uh, 2026. That law will take effect or will change dramatically. And uh, the, the point of telling you all about this here in the next month or two is the fact that you talk to any estate planning attorney, they're looking at an hellacious 18 months ahead of them because of all the changes that'll have to be made in people's wills and trusts and the gifting of things and that, and, and the philanthropic planning as well. But in other words, if you don't get on this by this summer, you're not going to be able to maybe get everything done you'd like to get done before the law changes and take advantage of some of the gifting that could be done now. We're not just going to talk about rich people problems. We're also going to talk uh, about, you know, the problems of, of everyone in terms of financial literacy. You know, I, I love the people who say, oh, it's just rich people who want to avoid tax or leaving California. That is simply not true. Look at U-Haul. Again, for what, the fourth consecutive year, number one outbound state, California. Number one by a long shot. The people renting U-Hauls are not tech titans or people who are looking to avoid tax when they sell their business. The people who rent U-Hauls are hardworking people who have made a decision, a decision that was inconceivable just 40 years ago. And that is, I'm in California, but I have a better chance of economic success and financial success in another state. That was inconceivable 40 years ago that anyone would make that decision. But now it's normal. And as I mentioned, U-Haul for the fourth consecutive year saying, outbound out of California, leading the nation once again in terms of people renting here to take all their stuff somewhere else. And we'll talk about, you know, the crazy tax stuff they're talking about at the Capitol because they're insatiable. There's no shame there. There's no, you know, even, even though they lost $37 billion in an EDD fraud, no one ever thinks to say, we need to spend time and money making sure the taxpayer's money is used the right way. No, no, no. It's just, oh my gosh, we need more. The decisions that are made, oh, I mean, last year, oh my gosh, it rained a lot in January. Let's extend out the tax date. What? That makes no sense at all. And it really caused some problems, not only for people who didn't want to extend out the tax date, but also uh, in terms of receipts into the state of California, which helped exacerbate, you know, this a $68 billion deficit, which is currently in place. You know, again, people will say, oh, it's just a trickle of people leaving the state. Well, no, two of the four richest men in the world have left the state of California in the last five years. Two of the four richest men in the world. You're talking about, uh, if you add up, what they would have paid in future tax receipts to the state of California, talking about Elon Musk and Larry Ellison. But if you add all that up, not only them, but the companies they moved out of California as well, you're talking about probably a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars over the next 25 to 30 years. But they left the state of California. Larry Ellison didn't even go to a lower tax state. He actually moved to Hawaii but he moved his company to Texas. Elon Musk moved to Texas. 
And now you're wondering why we have a $68 billion deficit with people like that up and leaving the state. Are you kidding me? You have to connect those dots. You have to. So we'll talk about that. We're not going to dwell on the political. California is what it is. We know what it is. But there are certainly things you can do to optimize your situation with regard to taxes and with regard to where you decide to retire. So bite-sized finance is going to be about a lot of these anecdotes, a lot of these stories that help illustrate best practices for you and your ability to budget on the spending side, your ability to, to pay for things, when to use debt, when not to use debt, but also on the investment side and the planning side. You know, one very simple thing you can do if you're relatively new in your career is go in on the first of the year and up your contribution to your retirement plan by 50 bucks a month. 50 bucks a month. Just just push it up a little bit each year. Every year add to it. I think it's been pointed out in the past, but the money you save in your 20s toward retirement, boy, that's the most valuable money ever because that's going to grow hopefully for 30 years into something significant. So so the way you can 50 bucks toward your retirement, you won't even feel it because that 50 bucks would have been taxed. So maybe you would have gotten 30 bucks out of it. You know, the way taxes work, they're going to take a chunk of it. So you'd only get 30 bucks in your pocket, put 50 bucks in instead. Another excellent tool for young people, especially those who are, are going to be successful in the future, uh, a Roth IRA. Put money into your Roth while you can. Roth IRAs, that's money that's already been taxed, but you put into a Roth IRA, it grows tax-free and you use it in retirement. No taxes. You never have to take money out like an RMD, a required minimum distribution. Passes to your beneficiaries outside your estate. So it's a, it's a very valuable piece of your... And, and believe me, when you think about the incredible debt that our country is 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 putting in place right now. I mean, the deficit spending, and that's somewhat of an apolitical statement because uh, Republicans haven't been great at this either. Republicans and Democrats spending like crazy. But what does that mean? That means taxes are not going down anytime soon. They're only going up. So tax-free money in the future is going to be very, very valuable which is why a Roth IRA, if you can start a Roth IRA when you're 18, you have to have earned income. So let's say you make three grand uh, and you want to put, you know, 500 bucks into a Roth IRA. That will grow for a long time. When I say earned income, you know, because I had to deal with my kids for a while, you put some money in, I'll match it into a Roth IRA. But earned income means W-2 wages. It means uh, to my daughter who babysat a lot, but it was all cash business, that's not earned income in the eyes of the IRS. So you have to have earned income. But the other reason you want to do it when you're young is because you start to uh, get phased out as your income begins to rise. And so if you're successful in your career, you will not have the same eligibility to put money into a Roth IRA once you get above a certain income number. That's not to say you can't put money into the Roth option of your 401k. You absolutely can but in terms of having your own Roth IRA, you will begin to phase out relatively early in your career if you're a successful person in terms of putting money into a Roth. So these, these are all tools we can use. Roth IRAs, IRAs, 401ks, 
We'll talk about flexible spending accounts. We'll talk about 529 accounts. If, if Let's say uh, you have a new grandchild. Man, there is no better gift than opening up a 529 plan. And going back to the story about paying off your mortgage, another reason why a 529 plan is so valuable is your ability to sit with a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old and let them know that you're saving for college. Boy, that sets the bar high. That puts a, That's a whole new mindset if someone knows someone else is saving for my college education. So 529 accounts, again, another positive tool. But a 529 accounts, because of the time value of money, they're not nearly as valuable if you're opening one up when someone is 14 years old and headed off to high school. They're not nearly as valuable. They're valuable when you open one up when a, a newborn comes into this world and you're thinking, I don't want to buy them a, a toy or a dress or whatever. I want to put 100 bucks into their 529 plan. Okay, because that's going to grow. And that's going to be worth something in future years. And that's going to have 18, 20, 22 years of growth on top of that. So we'll, we'll talk about all these various tools, but we'll do it through the use of stories. Today it was all my stories. In future episodes, it'll be other people's stories of how they got to where they got and the mistakes made along the way. I'm thrilled you're with us. I'm Kelly Brothers. This is Bite Sized Finance. Thanks for listening to Buy Sci-Fi, Bite Sized Finance. If you liked what we served up today, please give us your rating, subscribe, and by all means, share. Music for the show, produced locally by Kitty O'Neill and her band, Skylar's Pete. Under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, this program is defined as an advertisement and includes an uncompensated testimonial by a CapTrust client. Please be advised that clients' experiences as described in the podcast do not necessarily represent the experience of other clients. The discussions and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speaker and are subject to change without notice. This program is intended to be informational only. Nothing in this program constitutes a solicitation, investment advice, or recommendation to invest in any securities. CapTrust Financial Advisors is an investment advisor registered under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. CapTrust does not render legal advice. Coming up on our next version of Bite-Sized Finance by Sci-Fi, we are going to talk to the one and only Taro Arai. He's opening up a new restaurant on Fair Oaks Boulevard. Makuni has taken this town by storm, but his story is even better. The story of how and why he came from Japan to Sacramento. And what does it mean, really, to be CDO of a company? Chief Dreaming Officer, Taro, on the next Bite-Sized Finance. I'm Kelly Brothers of Cap Trust, and I get the question a lot. How do you pick an advisor that is right for you? I always suggest interview a few people. Go talk to a few people. The truth is, most people will spend more time planning their next weekend getaway than they will actually finding the advisor that is right for them, their family, the next generation, an advisor that may serve you for decades or a generation or more. It's an important decision. Sit down and talk to people. See if you feel comfortable talking to people. After all, this is all about the conversation, mitigating risks, and preparing for the future. Cap Trust, here in Sacramento, Roseville, and Folsom.